Today is the Ephesian sermon you almost never hear preached. You're probably wondering what this is going to be about. We're at number 14 in our series, and if Ephesians was like a mountain with a peak in the middle, we'd be right at the top now. And today I'm going to look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 12 through 16. Almost certainly, you've never heard this kind of sermon before. I've wrestled long and hard with the scripture, and I've read just about all of the major commentaries there are to make sure I'm not misunderstanding anything, but I can't get away from the truth that is in this passage, and so I have to preach it. And just to introduce it, this is a prophetic word from Paul that something spectacular is going to happen in churches and we can be part of it. We can be instrumental in it happening. And my goal this morning is that we should all understand the radical teaching of this passage and commit to doing our part in it. And my outline today, I'm I'm going to title this from childhood to maturity. We're going to do a deep dive into Ephesians 4, verses 12 through 16, and then I'm going to reveal what the whole point of this message is, but you can tell by the title, it will it happen, and if so, when? What is this about, this, this prophecy? And how should we respond is going to be my last point. And so before we do that, a quick summary of last time. Last time, I looked at verses 11 and 12, and the the verses go, and he himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds. That's the literal word for pastors. We often use the word pastor, but literally it's shepherds and teachers for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of serving for the building up of the body of Christ. And my point last time was, who is building the church? Is it these five leaders listed at the beginning, or is it everybody? And uh, I, I said last time that, uh, by the way, the saints in this verse, in verse 12, saints just means all of God's people. So this is the the, the million-dollar question, who is building the church? So the old way of reading this for that's persisted for nearly 2,000 years, uh, which is wrong, goes like this. He gave gifted leaders for the building up of God's people and for the work of the ministry and for building up the body of Christ. In other words, the gifted leaders do everything. They are the people responsible for building the church. Um, They do almost 100% of the work. But this is not what the passage is saying. This is wrong. They are equipping the whole body to build the church. And so it should be for the building up, these gifted leaders are for the building up of God's people for the work of the ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ. In other words, these leaders are building up God's people so they can build the body. Why is this important? It has led to a top-down structure in the church, a hierarchy where you get the clergy who do all the work and then the laity who sit in the pews and give their money and don't do anything. And this uh, was 
this has crippled the growth of the church. And it's, um, it's the wrong way of understanding this passage. In fact, you can see another verse in earlier on in the chapter, verse 7, to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So last week I was talking about how this distinction between the gifted leaders who do all the work of building and then everybody else is wrong because the role of the leaders is not to do the work of building, it's to equip everybody so that everybody can do the work of building. Now that is going to be important foundation for today's message. Now, before you open your pieces of paper, which is coming very shortly, uh, we're going to explain how this works. And this passage of scripture, which I'm going to show you, um, is actually what I'm going to do. I'm going to to let you look at it. We won't open it yet, but I'm going to just let you look at it for now. And uh, I'm going to What you can see is something like that right now. And we have the first verse, for the purpose of equipping the saints. Now, Peter, you're going to have to switch this across to, uh, you've got that, okay. For the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of serving, for the building up of the body of Christ. And then the last bit of the last verse says, produces the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, these are like bookends that begin and end the passage. Starts off on a topic, it ends on exactly the same, with almost identical phrase being used. This kind of way of writing was common in ancient times, and it's a kind of a semi-poetic way of writing, which is, is called chiasm. Don't worry about the meaning of the word. That's just what it's called. And I'm going to illustrate how it works with, a, with some English. Um, It's truth and beauty combined. So we may start with an end with a key issue that's being discussed. And then we have a statement that leads to a second idea. And that leads to a third. And then there's a central turning point in the middle that's resolved with a new idea. We can work back to the third one, back to the second, and then we resolve the issue. This way of writing, where you have, sometimes it's called A, B, C, C, B, A, it's a way of, of writing which not only is not only beauty in there, but it focuses you on what the real issue is, which is the beginning and ending one, and what it is that's the key change point. And often you'll get the change points that work back through. Now, sometimes it's simple like this. The passage that we've got that we're going to look at has got an extra level of beauty, which is why I've given you handouts that are folded up, because you can actually miss out the middle bits and it all makes sense. So if I miss out um, these verses, this middle section, just look at the first and the last, it makes sense. And if I miss this out here, uh, there, and just leave the second and fourth, it makes sense. And then and I can work myself down to the middle. And I want to show you that because it's just, it's just really cool. So I'm going to get you now to look at your sheets and we're going to see how this works. So the key question being dealt with here is building up the body of Christ. How is the body of Christ to be built up? So it starts with that and ends with that. And then this here, we open this middle bit up, we get how it's built up. So you can open your sheets up now to show the first level. You can open up the first fold. Yep. Uh, So how the body is built. It's built until we all attain 
to the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God to one mature adult to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then that's paralleled up with verse 16, from the whole, whom the whole body being joined together and held together, so the unity idea, by every supporting ligament from the proper working of the measure of each individual part. So the measure in verse 13 is of Christ, and the measure in 16 is at each individual part. And we'll look at that in a minute, because that's very interesting. But let's open up the middle bit now. You can open your sheet right up now. And we'll see that verse 14 says that we should no longer be children. And then I haven't folded it up because it would be too small a fold. But if you jump to the end of verse 15, if the contrast that in the red, we should grow up in every way into him who's the head Christ. So you can see children contrasted with grown-ups there and how it matches perfectly. So what does growing up mean? And right in the middle, growing up is being moved from children who are wave-tossed and blown around by every wind of teaching, by the trickery of people, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, but speaking out the truth in love. So what's the new idea? What's the key thing that's introduced here? The key thing is love. This is what is the elements introduced. And right at the end, if you look right at the end, I've highlighted the end of verse 16, building up of itself in love. And so this is this beautiful structure that he's written it, but partly it's there because it not like it's got a beauty, but partly it's there because it really focuses you on what the truth is. And I wanted to show you this because I want to focus you on what this passage is saying and see how these things all match up and it reinforces the idea that I'm going to be talking about today. So let's go through this in a little bit more detail now and I'm going to walk you through what this passage is talking about. So the previous verse talks about the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers and their purpose which we talked about last week, is the equipping of the saints for the work of serving, for the building up of the body of Christ. So that's the goal. Now, a question would be, is he talking here about the worldwide church, or is he talking about local communities like us? What would you say? Okay, we've got a both. We've got a worldwide church. Well, I'm going to say that primarily this must be the local church. Because if every part's doing their share, like we're like a body with every part doing their share, that only makes sense in a local group. To get every single Christian in the world doing their share for some, something, that's far more, that's really not what it's focusing on here. It's having a community that functions by everybody doing their part. And um, so it's primarily, I believe, it's building up each local body at the, in, this, in this verse here. So, um, and it's about every part of that local body doing their share. Now, if you look then at verse 13, there are three things there we attain to. The first is unity in the faith. So unity in what we believe and the knowledge of the Son of God. The second is a mature adult. Now, this is a very interesting phrase in the Greek because it doesn't say into lots of mature adults. It says one mature adult. 
What is that talking about? It's talking about such a unity that we're like functioning like a single person. Like, and we are like Christ manifested here. We're like a, it's like, because Christ is a single person, and we're like growing together so closely, like we're like the body of Christ as a single mature person. So lots of children growing up into one single mature person. It's an odd thing, but that's what he says. And then the third thing, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Andy, could you just come in here a moment? He wasn't expecting this, so I've not warned him. All right, so just come over here. So, um, and watch what you tread. Okay, that's all right. Um, so imagine we stood Andy up against a wall, and we drew a chalk line around him on the wall, and then we said, okay, you've got to grow up into that. Okay, that's when you're fully grown. That's how you are. You can go and sit down now. Um, so what we're left, so this is, what, this is what literally what it means. The measure of the statue is the measure of Jesus. So if Jesus, you measure Jesus and say like, all Jesus qualities, and you say your job is to grow up into Jesus qualities. That's the measure you're growing up into. You say, what? What are you talking about? That I should grow up into the measure of Jesus? Yeah, that's what it is. That's what we've been called to. We've been called to grow up into the, 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 the point we're measured to is this point where we're at the, the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, I didn't write this. Paul wrote this. So blame him if you think he's exaggerating. But this is what he says. This is what the church is, is to so reflect Christ that see people see an image of Christ when they see the church. Um, and then verse 14, so that's verse 13. Verse 14, um, we, we uh, get to the statement of the children. This is how we are now. We're, we're children, um, wave-tossed and blown around by every wind of teaching, by the trickery of people, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. And so that is the, the, the character that you see so sadly in, in Christ church today, in many, many places, just like uh, every wind of teaching, like all kinds of ideas coming in, bad people coming in, causing trouble. Um, and so he says, but speaking the truth in love. And I'm going to unpack this more. But this is the answer, he says, is speaking the truth in love. And doing that, we grow up in every way into him who's the head Christ. So this then, we're beginning, we've done the middle now, we're beginning to grow, go, come back out of our, our chiasm, back into the resolution. We grow up into, into him in every way, and now it says, from whom the whole body joined together and held together by every supporting ligament. In other words, every part that holds a joint together from the proper working of the measure of each individual part. Um, so this is, this is a complete reversal then of the previous one, what was there before in verse 14 with the children, and now there's this maturity. Now, the most important part of this, I believe, is this word measure. Um, because how do we do this? Here we have the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So this is the, what we've drawn on the wall with the, with the chalk. This is Christ's stature. How do we get there? By the measure 
of each individual part. And in verse 7, I'm not showing you here, but verse 7, it says, each one of us has received a gift according to the measure of Christ. In other words, he's measured out to each one of us. He's measured out. Each one of us has got a measure of the gifting. And when added together, they make the whole thing. You understand what he's saying? Like, I can't get away from this. It's very, very clear in the text that we have got this goal. And the goal is not by the super apostles or somebody amazing doing the work. The goal is that every single person doing their part, their measure, lets us reach the measure that's the end. And when we get to this, um, the end of uh, verse 16 says it produces the growth of the body for the building of itself up in love. So this is the incredible transformation that takes place. This was the deep dive we've just done into Ephesians 4, 12 to 16. Now we're going to ask, will it happen? And if so, when? And then end up by asking how we should respond. Um, So I've done a lot of research on this. And I'm sad to say that the question that is, almost never asked is when. You can read all the scholars on this passage, the best minds have applied themselves to this, and they never say, well, when is this going to happen? Oh, duh, isn't that the most important question here? And when they do answer the question, uh, they assume that it happened when the New Testament was completed, you know, 2,000 years ago. Well, let me ask you a question. Is it, when we look around, are we seeing the church in this level of the fullness of Christ, or are we seeing the church like children? Yes. So, you know, you laugh when I tell you that. Of course, it's obvious we're not mature. We've got such a long way to go as a church. We're not at this level of maturity. So that is, that's crazy. That's ridiculous. On the other hand, you get people saying, uh, it's fulfilled at the return of Christ. You know, we'll never get to this. This is talking about a perfected state. No, this will happen at the return of Christ. There's one problem with that view. There's one problem with it, and it's a big problem. What's the point of Paul trying to motivate us if we can't possibly achieve it? What's the point of that? I actually found one scholar who actually dealt with this question and, and addressed it, and uh, uh, Harold Honer, and he said... If the potential of the fully mature church is not real for the present time, Paul offers a false hope. Is Paul offering a false hope? This is the challenge that I'm bringing you today. Is this a false hope for churches across the world? Is this a false hope for New Life Church? If it's a real hope, this should get us so excited and interested in it. So that was a very, that was my second point. That was very short. I was just basically, when is it going to happen? I believe it could happen now. I believe that we don't have to wait till Christ's return. It could, it could be working now. It could, we could be on the process now. Now, I don't think it's something like instant it happens, but you know, it could happen in a matter of months or years, but we could see this. And my dream is that we would see this. I don't see why we should not see this, because this is Christ's dream as well. So um, the, my answer then to this question of when will it happen and when is, I believe that this prophetic word will come true. 
And I hope it will come true in my lifetime. And I hope it will come true not just in my lifetime, but no, when I'm part of this church. Um, and so this is, and this is a crucial question, a when, because it, it just changes your whole relationship to this passage. If it could happen now, then suddenly we're much more interested in what, what's going on there, what could happen. So before I go on any further, um, is this the only place in scripture that something like this is talked about? Because if it is, then that should raise some question marks. Because if there's something really important, usually it's in more than one place in the scripture, not just one single place. Uh, and Well, actually, it is. It is. Um, I'm not going to look at the verses now, but I'm going to tell you that in, in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 12, Paul talks about going from children to maturity in terms of love, when he's talking about the gift of love, and how this brings a renewed um, communion with Jesus. And he talks about getting the point like we have face-to-face communion with Jesus as we go from children to maturity. And then in the, the Gospel of John, in chapter 17, Jesus has got a prayer at the end of chapter 17, and he's praying... Um, and he climaxes in the prayer, talking about that they will be one, my people will be one, even as we are one. And when they're like that, the world will know that you have sent me. And so he talks about this, this point where there's such unity amongst the church that like, it's obvious to the whole world that this is God. And can I ask you, is that right now? Does the, when, the church, when the world looks at the church, does it see such extraordinary unity that it says this must be God? This can't, I hear some laughing. Yeah, yeah, and it's not out of place. It's not out of place because it is, sadly, it's so away from what we have. But that is Jesus' prayer in John 17. Is Jesus' prayer going to be ignored by the Father and never going to happen? I don't think so. Is Jesus praying something that will only happen when he returns? Well, that would make no sense because Jesus is praying that the world will look at it and see him. So what, if that doesn't happen till he returns, there's no point. So uh, another place it happens, is hinted at, is in Romans 11, and it talks about think God doing things in the future, which it describes as life from the dead before he returns. So the real question then um, I'm, going to, I'm going to close with is, how should we respond? How should you and I respond to this? Um, so there are two things I believe this passage is speaking about. Truth spoken in love, which is what you have right in the middle there, and every single part of the body using the measure of gifting Christ has given them. So I'm going to just say a couple of things about truth spoken in love. So I have a, a quote here from John Stott on a, on something, on a commentary on Ephesians. Thank God there are those in the contemporary church who are determined at all costs to defend and uphold God's revealed truth. But sometimes they're conspicuously lacking in love. When they think they smell heresy, their nose begins to twitch, their muscles ripple, the light of battle enters their eyes. They seem to enjoy nothing more than a fight. And sadly, it's true. Sadly, we often, the church can become a place of fighting, and my truth is better than your truth. And that's truth without love. Truth without love. Now, I'm going to say that, this, that what we're talking about here in this passage is not just 
truth as doctrine, truth as teaching. That's very important. But it's also truth in our relationships, in our individual conversations. Um, can you imagine having a conversation with somebody who's going to tell you the truth about yourself, about you, but not in a loving way? Maybe some of you experienced that happening. They're going to tell you the truth, and it's not filled with love. So we can have personal conversations which are truth without love, um, which just damage, and they just don't help anybody. We can have conversations which are love without truth. In other words, they don't tell you anything that you need to know because they don't upset you. And so you never get to hear the important things because everybody wants, wants to love you. And so what he's talking about here is total love and faithful truth. And so you imagine what it would be like if you're in a community where you were surrounded by people who absolutely loved you just so totally and they were committed to sharing, to be completely truthful with you. Just totally true, totally transparent with you, but filled with love. You'd feel safe in that community, but you'd also really grow in that community because you're in a place where there's this truth and love together. So I want to argue then that part of this here is in the way we relate to one another personally. We need to have both of these things in our conversations to a full degree, a full degree. But the other part of the way that we respond to this message and the way that the church grows is by every part doing the measure that Christ has given them, everyone involved. And so we can say every part of the body is using the measure of gifting that they have, that they've been given. And here is the challenge. How do we do this? How do we accomplish this? How are we actually going to move to the point where we're doing this? Um, how many churches have succeeded in the past and can give us a process to follow? Like, can we find a church that's already done this? Well, unfortunately, no, because they'd already be at this point of being in the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. So unfortunately, you can't go and buy a book on how this is done because we've done it before. I mean, it is worth buying books on how people have got, you know, involved people in volunteering and so on. This is good. And like there is progress. I don't want to diminish that at all. But nobody yet has the perfect answer for this. And, all, and, and we're all looking for this. We're looking for how we are to do this. And so I want to, so what I want to ask you to do is I want to say to you, we're all in this together. I can do my part, but no more than that. So I want, my, my vision for New Life Church is as we move forward into the future, the rest of this year and into next year, that, and however long it takes, that this is what we want to do. But I can't do this by myself. I can't put all the plans into place. I can't, I'm not a terribly good organizer. Like, we need to work together on how this is implemented. We need to work together on how we're to get there. But I am committed to getting there. How about you? Yeah? You're committed to getting there? I can see a few nods. I hope that that's, everybody is there. Yeah, a few more nods. Yeah. So uh, we, this is what we have to do. And so I want to challenge you. Are you up for trying? 
Are you up for trying a new life church? Because this is what we have to do if we are going to meet this. Um, So uh, I have got another quote for for you, which I like. We have what we need. That's my title. The exalted Christ has, in fact, supplied what is necessary for the church to become what it is meant to be. His vision of the church and of its calling in the world is not to be thought of as a totally impossible ideal. He maintains that the resources have been given for the church to be able to demonstrate its unity, to proclaim the truth in love, and to attain to completeness in Christ. In other words, we have the resources. God's already given measures of gifting. We have the resources. We, he, he's given us what we want. He's not standing in our way. This is possible. I believe this is possible. You and I could see this prophetic vision of Paul come to pass in front of our eyes. And um, this, this could be we could have the joy of seeing this, and I pray that we will. And I want to say, if you're not a follower of Jesus today, then you're not actually part of the body. You're, you're outside of the body, so you don't have a part in this process, except the, the wonderful good news is you can become part of the body. You can do that simply by asking Jesus to take off you that load of guilt that you have to pay the price for that guilt, and to bring you into his body, and he will, and he loves to do that. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can become part of this by asking Jesus sincerely to make you one of his. Um, So I want to end with this last slide, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come up while I'm going through this. And this is my challenge for you. As a church... We need to use the gifts of every single member. Pray that we are able to do this together as we grow. And this is a quote from Andrew Lincoln. Love is the lifeblood of this body, and therefore the ultimate criterion for the assessment of the church's growth will be how far it is characterized I love. In other words, when Jesus measures the church, he doesn't measure the numbers in the church. He doesn't measure the size of the building that you have. He doesn't measure all of those, this, you know, the amount of money you're raising. He measures the level of love that's going on within that body. That is how Jesus measures a church. And love is like the lifeblood that flows through. And that then is where we have to start. You can't have the gifts without having the love first. So we have to start with the love and then we can build the gifts and the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. Let's pray. Should join with me in praying that we'll, we'll, we'll do this. Heavenly Father, we, we, we thank you for this amazing passage and Lord, we thank you for this challenge you're giving to us. And Lord, we pray that you as the head will give us all that we need, particularly Lord, your your, your Give us insights into how we are to build together into what you want us to be. Lord, we cry to you that we would reflect your 
glory, your wonder, your beauty, your love to this world, this desperate world, that they will see you as they look at us. Please help every one of us this morning to be committed to this task. In Jesus' name, amen.